Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Waffle Press Retrospective. I'm your host, Diego Crespo, and happy Halloween. We're doing a Halloween episode again this year, but it's not John Carpenter. Uh, we're breaking our John Carpenter streak because we did a commentary for The Thing, which I'll put a link down to in the description below. And uh, we're we're here to talk some other nasty, we're doing nasty, scary shit. Texas Chainsaw Double Feature. Yeah, Ooh. that's my co-host, Matt Garingo. That's me, and this the real reason this came about is that we were all so miserable <laughs> through the month of October, we both went, I, like, we were like, I don't want to fucking, rec- I can't record any podcast <laughs> about anything, and we had to, we were forced into recording one because of Netflix, so we've done one other recording, and then... But that one's pretty, that, that one came out good, I'm excited to share that, that one. That was fun, because we all had, I, I was on fucking meds at the time, I believe. <laughs> Oh, okay. So I had, I had a lot of energy going into it, um, but and then at, I was like, I just don't want to talk about because the prime movie this year would probably be They Live, you know? Oh yeah, that's that's like the movie the the Carpenter, and it just I just wouldn't want to talk about it. <laughs> like I would be too upset talking about it this year, so I was like, fuck it, let's not, we'll just sit this one out. And then I think like three four days ago, I was watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And I just texted you and was like, we should do Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1 and 2. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about them in full, so watch them if you haven't. But also, right off the bat, Matt, why 1 and 2? Why not just 1? Um, Because there's never a better double feature based on the first two films of a franchise in horror history. <laughs> that's a bold statement because a lot of people outside the our our circles in the internet at least mm-hmm. might not even know about Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and if they do many of them tend to say things like I heard that one wasn't as good or that's bad um yeah it has a weird I think the it people have come around on it it had a weird reputation for a long time and I didn't see it for years just because I, I was kind of raised in a house where I was, it was like, all sequels are bad, you know? And I believed that for a little while. You, you actually, you know the re- this is going to be weird. You know the reason why I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? It's because back in the day, in the early, early YouTube days, I was a fan of the angry video game nerd. Remember that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. And he did a review of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game, and he does a scene in his review that's a straight-up parody of the Chop Top scene from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and I didn't really get the reference, and so I like looked into it, and I was like, oh, I should, I should probably see that then. <laughs> and so that's the reason I've seen Texas Chainsaw 2. <laughs> Well, thank you, angry video game nerd. I'm yeah. sure everything you've done has aged wonderfully. You know what? I I, I I'll, I'll I'll show something. I I'm at the point in quarantine where I'm revisiting tons of old internet media, just because like I don't know, I've like run out of things. <laughs> and I've I, I checked out some of his stuff. I'm not gonna say it's aged well, but 
he's a hundred percent what he is, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he's the angry video game nerd. He's like R-rated Pee Wee Herman. Well, he he's the that's part of Cinemassacre now or something like that. Right? Well, that was his that's his film company that he's always had. Like okay, he, okay, because all I know about him, I never got into him. I know he he said he wouldn't review the new Ghostbusters or whatever. Yeah. Um, and apart from that, all I know about him is that he's had fans from the old internet days and. He hasn't gone on, like, some racist, sexist, misogynistic tirade or anything like that. So in yeah. my book, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, All things sh- considered. If you were if you were to do a political read of the angry video game nerd, uh, he seems to have very centrist politics. Um, mm. he, seems to have, he seems to be one of those guys that would probably be like, let's try to keep the politics out of it. But like, every now and then he'll show some side where it's like, you're almost like, comrade angry video game nerd like because <laughs> he, he also does the uh monster madness videos which i loved as a kid which were you know like history of horror films and one of those things where it's like oh this guy actually kind of like he knows more than just video games which is why i think he's had some more staying power than other angry nerds like he it seems like the angry video game nerd thing was always a side project for him and he was he did a review of they live and he's like, um, there's a scene in it where there's like a 10 minute fight. It goes on forever. It's kind of ridiculous. But I think what it's about is how the working class is always fighting at each themselves instead of coming together and rising up. And it's like, wait, where did that come from? <laughs> like, I'm not saying that's a bad read. I'm just saying I wasn't expecting it from the angry video game nerd. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So. Our video games. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, it's a good movie. Um, although, I think anyone who watches it the first time is going to go like, the fuck was that? <laughs> That's where I was, and we'll, we'll definitely get into that, but I, I didn't get it. Not that I didn't even like it or disliked it. I just, I, I didn't understand how to approach that i was like okay i think this is funny (laughs) i think yeah but it's also revolting yeah (laughs) so i don't know well because the thing you hear about it is the the way like it's always been introduced to me is it's like a parody of the first movie but it's made by the same director like it's like he, he realized he couldn't go he couldn't capture the horror of the first one, so he decided to make a parody of it. But even then, that doesn't really capture that movie. Yeah, that, there you go. That's that's my... I'll, I'll piggyback off that, too. Don't listen to anyone who says it's a parody of the first mm. one. It's it's not really... Mm. I th- I think... Correct me if this is a, a inappropriate take, but like I think it's... It's about how you can't really capture crazy like that ever again. Yeah. So you just have to make everyone crazy. <laughs> well, we'll get more into it, but I think the big thing for me, and this to me sums up everything you need to know about the late, great Toby Hooper, which is he, for years after making Texas Chainsaw Massacre, was annoyed that no one talked about the the humor of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. 
that he did he was upset that people didn't understand that there was a lot of like comedy in it <laughs> and watch that movie if you've never seen it first time watch and be like there's comedy in that like you can get it on first watch but the, like of course no one picked up on the comedy <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> of Texas Chainsaw. So he made the sequel to be like I wanted to like underline some of the things I felt people missed. <laughs> Look, I'm a huge fan of his work. I've been reading a lot of his stuff in preparation for this uh, this conversation. Checking out a lot of his interviews. Every time he brings up that people didn't get the comedy. I think he's an alien from another planet. <laughs> because like, look, like there's there's a funny beat or two in that moment. <laughs> Or in that in that movie, right? They they come and go, but there's not like I don't know. I I this is what I don't get. I don't get it as like some sort of black comedy. I it's just such a terrifying experience of a film. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a nightmare captured on sixteen millimeter and like shot into humanity's bloodstream, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not like from this earth. It feels like almost. Well, text- Texas Chainsaw Massacre feels like they found footage of actual murders. <laughs> like, yes, it, it feels yeah. like you're watching crime scene footage. Like that's like the whole movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, and he's like, no one thought that was funny, and yeah, everyone's no just coming out of the theater shaking, sweating, and like trying to get to their car keys. Yeah, and he was like, it's a satire, and it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that being said, it is maybe one of the, no, it is one of the greatest films ever made. Oh like, no, Te- Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre. I um, it's not to jump ahead, but I I wrote I have my pages of notes, of course, Matt's notes, and I decide I wrote at the end of it. And also, I should mention I'm in a drunken stupor. I'm still recovering from surgery, <laughs> and I wrote uh, my the last line of my notes is this movie is more important than the combined total of the French New Wave. <laughs> So that's how that's my take on Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, fuck you, Jean Luc Godard. <laughs> yeah, fucking Godard. You never made anything this good. <laughs> Did he? Did Godard no. even come close to Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Pierre LeFaux, who? <laughs> yeah, go fuck yourself. True foe, you fuck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you know, it's a. Great movie. It's yeah, just, so it's also influ- I think you you know this. It's uh it's a major influence on one of your favorite films. Yeah, Tremors. No, no. you idiot. No. <laughs> it's it's a it's it's a big influence serious. on a uh, Alien for oh, Ridley Scott. Thought you were serious serious for a minute. No, no, no. That's where like that moment where like Ridley Scott was just in the pocket of like being like I'm not inspired by other alien movies. The I, the horror I want to capture for my science fiction horror movie is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is it's the not one... to even like get into another like discussion, but like that's kind of awesome. And that's I kind like of the... wish more movies did that. That's the the most brilliant move he made in a, in in a movie. You know, like with all my takes on Ridley Scott, Alien is just like wall to wall like every decision was the right decision. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, but t- it's just, that's just crazy to think about. It's like, he saw that movie and it was like, I want to do that in space. Which, <laughs> <laughs> hey, not, not a, not a bad way to go, but let, Which, let's get into the, the plot. Everyone's favorite topics about movies, plot. Yeah. Sally Hardesty and her brother, a paraplegic named Franklin and their friends, Jerry, Kirk and Pam go to visit, their grandfather, 
right? They're going to... Well, they... They're going they just to... just fuck that up? <laughs> no, they're going to the old grandparents' place, because it's, like, by a creek, which we never see, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't get there. <laughs> they never get to the creek, which is either, like, they just didn't think to film it, or they picked a location that didn't have a creek. <laughs> well, but, not to derail our discussion again already, but uh, this may come as a shock to you, Macaringo, but the production of this film was basically described as hellish oh so, really yeah didn't pick up on may- any of that while watching it <laughs> yeah i can't imagine like why that would be but um yeah so my guess is that they did plan to go to like a creek area at some point and mm. then they just got wrapped up in the filming of this monstrosity yeah. and did, it didn't happen well there's a few there- moments early on where you feel like some scenes were supposed to be longer and then either they had, like, problems that day or they ran into something, and then suddenly there's, like, an awkward, like, you know, wide shot and then voiceover that ends the scene. (laughs) There's a couple moments like that early on, which, if the whole movie had been like that, it wouldn't be the classic it was. They kind of knew to be, like, we have to nail the horror, at least. But, yeah, this movie, it feels very uh, slapped together from time to time. But, like, what I was saying was, I believe they're going to the old grandparents' place for, like a fun vacation, even though I can't imagine anything fun about that house once you get there. And But on the way, they go to investigate their grandfather's grave because the cemetery has been the victim of grave robbing recently. We see that, the aftermath of the grave robbing in that opening scene, and it's... Uh, do you remember the first time you saw this? How old were you when you first saw this? Um, Too young. Um, too young. I was 25. Uh, no, uh, uh, I saw this. I don't even know. This is one of those movies where it's just like, it was one you had to seek out because it's still one of the horror movies they like won't play on cable. You know, like I did not, uh, like you could see Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street all like heavily edited for like TV but you could still get the gist of those movies. You can't fucking edit this shit. So I, I I probably saw it on DVD as like a teenager. Right? Probably when Netflix was still sending movies through the mail. Um, and yeah, it's, it's one of those ones where I don't think... I probably didn't really appreciate it the first time around because there's just not another horror film really like this. And it's it, it really catches you off guard the first time. And it's just a waking nightmare, really. So, like, I don't even know what details I absorbed at the time and whatnot, because it really fucks with you as a movie. But this opening really puts an emphasis on sound. Like, we, we start on, like, a black screen with, like, you know, grave robbing. Like, you just hear the sounds of grave robbing. And then, you know, we get the sound of a Polaroid camera lens flash over, like, a corpse. And that's what this movie's, I think, real genius is, that the footage looks really grainy and personal, like, crime scene footage, but the sound design is, like, perfect. You know, it's kind of like that that rule for podcasting where it's like, it doesn't matter what your video looks like as much as your sound. It's because of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, but, like... um. <laughs> 
I, I think quality sound goes a long way. And David Lynch is also known for his like amazing sound design as well. And because like look at like a lot of David Lynch stuff, like his more modern stuff is a lot of like lo-fi like special effects tech, but the sound is like perfect and it makes it feel like yeah. it's part of the scene anyways. And so yeah, there you go. There's your well, filmmaking tip for today. Well, the sound quality will sell. sound. The sound will sell any bad effect. You know, mm-hmm. like it just makes it work. And thankfully, we've we on the Waffle Press have always stuck to a good sound roll. Yep, yep. No, hope, no bad history with that. There. I hope you enjoy listening to the echoes of my basement, which is the only place I can record right now. <laughs> but uh, well, we one thing we did cross over was the opening title crawl, um, which I just want to point out because. The fucking guy doing the title crawl is fucking John Larroquette, <laughs> which I think a lot of people know, but that's just crazy to me that that this is like John Larroquette's first thing before <laughs> Nightcore, and then it was so important that he came back and did the opening narration for the remake, however many years later. Oh wow, that's crazy! I didn't know that actually. Yeah. Talk about oh, and John... look, looking it up, he also did the narration uncredited for the prequel to the remake. Hey, now everyone remembers yeah. that prequel. Yep, I didn't know it existed. <laughs> I saw about half of it. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, where's John Larroquette been? Uh, he was on. He had a little stint on Chuck, the NBC hit series. Oh, Chuck! Everyone remembers Chuck. I like Chuck. The Chuck hold up. I don't know. I like. I never uh, got into it. It's got it's got male gaze bullshit all the time. But like, oh, okay. otherwise, it's pretty fun. But, I recommend yeah. Chuck if you could put up with male gaze bullshit. But Chuck was still like ten years ago. Where's John Larroquette then? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that didn't answer my question. That that's it. Maybe that's it. He's old, man. Maybe he he doesn't yeah. want to act anymore. I know, but John Larroquette's like feels like a staple of like playing shitty villains in movies. I think he was the villain in that fucking Mark Wahlberg movie. Well, that could that doesn't narrow it down. Yeah, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, oh, he was in Southland Tales. I forgot. Yeah, but that was even older than Chuck. So fuck you. Yeah, but still, no, but still, that's great that he was in that. I was just gonna bring up the fact that he was the villain in Richie Rich. <laughs> okay. Oh, you know what? He is in two episodes of The Good Fight, which I hear is very go. good. Also, he was the narrator of Life Force, the other Toby Hooper movie. Oh my god, one year I want to talk about Life Force. That so also bad. feels like a perfect 2020 movie. Because it just keeps <laughs> escalating. <laughs> it's like every, you know five, every five minutes you're in a different horror film. You know what? Yeah. That is, <laughs> yeah. It's a movie that starts as like an alien ripoff that ends with like an apocalypse. <laughs> With space sex vampires. Yeah, energy vampire sex. <laughs> uh, so along the way, that that group of kids that we mentioned uh, picks up a hitchhiker on the road. Now, what do you know about this hitchhiker, Matt? He's a creepy looking guy. <laughs> yeah, he's creepy as well, fuck. Hold on, I gotta roll it back a little bit. This is classic oh Matt Ringo. <laughs> my, no- my notes are very front-loaded. Once the terror begins, okay, okay. we'll be able to get through it. But... Uh, <laughs> When I was talking, the sound design in the opening with the grave, we also are getting like news reports that are describing 
um, that all these graves have recently been discovered as being vandalized and shit like that. Which also just this is uh, this is another movie inspired by our old boy Ed Gein, who we last talked about on the Silence of the Lambs oh, that's uh, right. episode. Because uh, that was a big thing Ed Gein did, where he was grave robbing and then making furniture out of human skin. Um, and keeping the corpse of his mother, you know, up in the attic, you know, fun guy. Um, mm. He's dead, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> he's been dead for a while. Um, but this, this is this is where I think we start getting hints of the Toby Hooper humor. Which is a very strange uh, type of humor. But the reporter is talking about the grisly details of all these grave robbings. And he has a quote, it was like, the sheriff said... Um, he had strong evidence linking the crime to elements outside the state. <laughs> which is like the classic thing, which we even see today where it's like, oh no, no, this isn't something bad happening locally. This is outside agitators coming into the state. <laughs> and it's like, well, the movie's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, so we know it's Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which actually, you know... I, I think the one thing that I do understand about Tobe Hooper when he's talking about this film, it, it's still not really the black humor, uh, if I'm being honest. But <laughs> when he's talking about it as, like, being frustrated with not just, like, the the staple of horror films of the era, but a lot of stuff like um, his political frustrations, like Watergate was just happening, right? Yeah, and, like, it's like, this is we're right coming in the middle. Of Vietnam War, and um, his frustration with, like, just the motion picture industry at the time. Like this is him releasing all his frustrations mm. uh, of the world back at the world. Well, it's you like know? this his, this is his follow-up to like a hippy dippy art film that he made, you know, and then like didn't really get any traction. So he was probably like, fuck that. Um, but yeah, definitely. This is definitely like the hippies are starting to like hit burnout, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, we re-elected Nixon. God, I hope we're not feeling that in a few weeks. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, post-Altamont, you know, where it's like, oh, maybe this, this you know, free love thing's not going to work. We Maybe we can't hire the Hells Angels to be bodyguards and expect things to go okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a movie where um, it feels like the world is ending at, like, the periphery of the frame. <laughs> you know? Yeah, this feels more apocalyptic than some, like, actual post-apocalyptic films yeah. and stories. And I think part of that is just its Texas setting. I think Texas, <laughs> just as a state, feels like the end of the world. But you also get the news, the report, like, after talking about the grave robbing, like, segues into talking about, like, the oil crisis. There's an epidemic going on. There was a riot somewhere. Some fucking building collapsed and killed, like, 20 people. And... The 70s is probably, like, the beginning of, like, that mass media era, which we're still kind of living in. I mean, it's very much changed, but there is that feeling of just hearing about nightmares happening in the distance, you know, without Mm -hmm. ever actually seeing it. And this is the result of that. This is the result of seeing it, I would say. Yeah, I guess this is just trying to... This is visualizing just the terror that was going on on under the surface in 70s America. (laughs) 
how much more do you want to break it down scene uh, by scene? I, mean, I feel like we're getting a lot of mileage without that, honestly. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at my notes real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, take your time. Um, we also, I, I think it's important to talk about the introduction of Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> where they pull over to the side of the road so he can take a piss. Uh, and they we have to watch the slow, laborious scene of them, you know, getting the ramp ready for him to roll out of the van. And it just, it puts all the characters already just in a vulnerable spot. You know, that like, oh, this is the guy who's going to have to go up against whatever this chainsaw massacre is. Yeah. Um, but also, I think Franklin is what uh, famed horror critic Joe Bob Briggs called the most detestable handicapped character in film history. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin is... Uh, Franklin's a lot as a character. Well, you know, he, he, he's kind of a dope. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's a, but he's a, he's a detestable dope. is like a whole other ballpark. Yeah, I, I might I might be misquoting Joe Bob, so don't put those words in his mouth exactly. But okay, uh, I I think that's what he said, and it's but it's also this thing of just like you can tell just by this one scene, no one wants Franklin there. Like, yeah, you know, like you go to a party and then it's like, oh, hey, all our friends are here. And our friend brought that one friend also. And then well, it's, the the mood just kind of goes, oh. It's very clear someone said, you have to bring your brother Franklin. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what the underlying vibe is. And that's why Franklin, I think, is so, like, kind of off-putting as a character. Is you can sense that he's been a burden to his family his whole life and they've made it very clear he's a burden without saying it which is just like this awful detail that this movie did not need no yeah it's it's this is a mean film believe it or not <laughs> but like um i i also think that it rounds out the characters in like a, a believable way at least though yeah you know, it's not just a bunch of hippy dippy teens driving through texas it's like I mean, even the trip is, you know, it's their excuse to go, like, basically party, but they are going to see, like, what got fucked up from their family, like, plot, yeah. basically, right? So. Well, also, I mean, t- to bring it back to my comment about the French New Wave, um, this almost could be, like, an experimental film, like, or, like, an art film, kind of like Jerry, where it's just, like, we're just going to experience this moment. Like, if a Texas Chainsaw Massacre didn't happen halfway through this movie... It could totally just be, like, a movie about, like, oh, what's it like being a hippie in, like, the post-hippie era, you know? And it feels it feels a little bit like... Did you ever see uh, Spike Lee's Get on the Bus? No, I haven't. Which, it's about, like, all the Freedom Riders, but it's done, like... It's very much a movie that's, like, shot, like, on, like, really cheap cameras. And it just, like, captures what the experience of the Freedom Riders must have been like. Where it's, like, you literally get on the bus with them. And then you ride on the bus with them. <laughs> And that's the movie. <laughs> oh, that that sounds actually like great. Like it, I'm really, very interested in watching that now. It's really interesting. I like it. Um, but it's like it feels like that's what this movie could have been to an extent. It just so happens a Texas Chainsaw Massacre happens halfway through. <laughs> and I mean, again, like think about it. Like if you want to talk about pushing the boundaries of cinema, like we're literally this is an opening scene where we're watching. Um, a, a paraplegic man try to like take a piss by the side of the road which is an experience that you know people probably in his circumstances probably go through and isn't something that's captured on film very often 
Yeah, and, and you know what? To credit too, like it, that must be very difficult. Yeah, long journeys it, like that. And it's it's clearly difficult for Franklin because he ends up going over that hill and crashing. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels like it's a moment where it's like, is that Toby Hooper black comedy? <laughs> I see, like stuff like that. I can get him being like, no, no. See, like I was being funny there. It's just like <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We're laughing, else... we're laughing at a handicapped person fall down a hill, and it's played completely straight. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, Toe Pooper was a weird guy. Yeah, I, I miss. I, I'm gonna miss him though. I miss seeing him. Oh pop yeah, up no, totally. Interviews. Yeah, this is the guy who did. This is the guy Steven Spielberg got to do Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a great film, just not the nightmare feel of TCM. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's interesting that that's where he ends up in just like less than ten years. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, I, I just felt the need to talk about Franklin's introduction. Um, I, I I got a I got a soft spot for Franklin. Yeah, because he's... no one wants him around, you know. He, he also he's given a pretty committed performance. I like the guy's performance. And you yeah, get the he, sense he's... that everyone was on set was like genuinely annoyed with Franklin. <laughs> no, I, I like the character and I like the performance because like once things start going weird, like with the hitchhiker to get back to that, um, who's clearly just like off his rocker like immediately, right? He takes the he takes the Polaroid of Franklin, cuts his hand, smears blood all over the van, uh, and then Franklin's the one everyone else just wants to move on, but Franklin's the one who's like, Hey, that was like really weird, like it, yeah, but this is like something's off. <laughs> the only person, though, up until this point in the film that has treated Franklin as an equal is this hitchhiker, <laughs> <laughs> which is another weird touch. Franklin and him have a conversation, and <laughs> Franklin's like, "Man, this guy's a real weirdo." And then he's like, "Do you used to work at the slaughterhouse? Did they use that bolt that goes into the brain and pops out?" And it's like everyone's clearly upset about Franklin talking about. Like this stuff, but Franklin really wants to talk about it. Yeah. Just it's just an odd little detail. And it's like but it's like weird where he's like, Man, this hitchhiker's weird and then Franklin's like, Franklin, dude, you got some stuff going on. <laughs> also, I wh- one thing I gotta point about the hitchhiker scene that I, I find hysterical is that the hitchhiker steals Franklin's knife, which is something Franklin's really obsessed with that knife. <laughs> <laughs> like this whole fucking movie he's like give me my knife the hitchhiker cuts his hand and starts bleeding all over himself and then they hang out with him for like five more minutes <laughs> it's only when he sets that picture on fire that everyone finally is like alright this has gone too far <laughs> well you can feel like the, the tension like escalating in like every action the hitchhiker does once he's in the van you know yeah, he's <laughs> like this crazy bomb waiting to go off and then he just kind of goes off consistently <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this is also a moment where this is why I can't watch horror films with other people, where like the wrong like the wrong lesson is taken away from a movie where they watch this and then they the only take they walk away with is that's why you don't pick up hitchhikers, you know, mm-hmm. like I've had to deal with that in conversations, <laughs> and it's like everything else about the movie goes completely over their head, <laughs> but they're yeah. like. But they go, I wouldn't have picked up that hitchhiker. Well, my work here is done. 
Yeah, yeah, and it's like, wow, it's almost like you're not the star of the film. Yeah, tuxedo you know? mask, you know, waving, turning, walking out of the frame. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but you didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, and that's something where I, whenever I see this hitchhiker, I think of, I, I saw Rob Zombie talking about because of course this movie's a huge influence on Rob Zombie. Um, he's been chasing this film, his whole film career. Yeah, gee, you think? And he got a comment where he was like, "Did they just find crazy people for this movie? Because <laughs> it like <laughs> it feels like they just found this hitchhiker as like an actual hitchhiker and just put him in the movie, like what they did for Uncut Gems, but for crazy people." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got a minute? You want to be in a scene? All right, go ahead. Um, also, he brings up uh, he describes the process of making head cheese at the slaughterhouse and that was gonna at one point that was gonna be the original title of this film head cheese head cheese head cheese yeah which maybe hints to where uh toby hooper's brain was more at when he was writing it which here's my here's my recommendation to anyone out there making their horror film or whatever any film in general don't be clever with your fucking title you know why this movie works? Because it's called Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> Make the title exactly what your film is. Head cheese. It's, yeah, yeah. I'm still just, like, trying to wrap my mind around that. That's That might be the worst thing I've ever heard. Like, that, right. na- that as a title, just, like, is so repulsive <laughs> and horrible. It hurts to say with my mouth. <laughs> you don't like head cheese? I do not like head cheese. Well, how how does it work in compared to the original title for Star Wars, which, as you remember, was The Adventures of Luke Starkiller, as taken from the Journal of the Wills, <laughs> Saga 1, The Star Wars. I like that one better. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, head cheese is just like... So disgusting and vile. Yeah. Like, no one's wow, going to pay to see a movie wow. called Head Cheese. Yeah. Um, we should mention move. that the, the title of Toby Hooper's directorial debut is Eggshells. <sighs> Noticing a, notice a theme. <laughs> Plowing ahead. Um. From now on, is, after this, his movies are just like... Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Eaten Alive, The Fun House. Like, he does not... <laughs> Thanks sp- God. Spontaneous combustion. He does not hide what the plot is anymore. Good man. Invaders from Mars. There you go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. L- Life Force is the one that you get some wiggle room with. Yeah, that's the one, like, slightly ambiguous one. <laughs> yeah. And then it just ends up literally being about, like, Life Force. <laughs> yeah, hitchhikers, don't pick them up. <laughs> Again, not the message of the movie, but... Old ways was best. He's talking about hitting animals over the head with a hammer. You think that'll come back around? Um, yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Automation, putting people out of work. That's where, like, you start getting the satire in this. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, these are people where it's like, we're being left behind by America, and it's like, there might be a reason for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, which, you know, we could probably talk a little bit about, like, the othering of, you know, certain people in America. Yeah, I which... mean, like, think about, like, conservatives, like, nowadays in America, where they're like, oh, you know, like, the world's changing around us, we can't keep up with it, and it's like, yeah, no fucking shit, you have, like, Confederate flags hanging in your front yard, and, yeah. <laughs> like, you're burning, like, Obama pinatas, like, yeah, you think? Like, Well, this just don't... shows that... The people that double down and refuse to move, the the only logical endpoint is chainsaw massacres and cannibalism. <laughs> that's literally the only direction holding on to your traditions leads to. You know what? Maybe that is where the satire comes in with Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well. Mm-hmm. Like they're speaking to a genuine like frustration a group of people have in America. Like, with the automation and stuff like that, moving um, industries a certain direction. I guess the satirical element is, like, this is, like, the most absurd response ever to that. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. It really is about, like, that America's a country that just fucking, the moment you become obsolete, America just leaves you behind. You know? Mm. That's really the heart of this fucking country. (laughs) I mean, and, yeah. Oh, maybe that's why the the hitchhiker and Franklin get along for a second, you know? Because it's like Franklin, yeah. you know, for all his little goofiness and stuff like that, like clearly has had that problem his whole life, you know? Ex- yeah, exactly. And I also think it's you know the metaphor gets very very obvious when you go to Leatherface's house, and it's literally the furniture is made out of corpses. <laughs> like, yeah, we're yeah. living like we're living in a decaying country. <laughs> Which I hate to bring it to that, you know, right now. No, I mean, <laughs> but that's if, just kind if you of don't what... see that by this year, like... <laughs> yeah. Just kind of what the film's about. Um, we do get to, uh, we finally get to the grandparents' house, which is like the ugliest fucking house I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine there's... anyone having fun there. <laughs> oh, well, n- none of this stuff turns out to be very fun, in all fairness. I'm... Well, like, because to me, if you're a teenager, and to me, the idea of going to your grandparents' cabin in an isolated area is, all right, we're going to go there, and we're going to have sex in a place where our parents can't catch us. Like, that's the idea of that. I No one would want to have sex in that house. Yeah. It's like, actually, let's let's, let's do it outside at night. Instead. Yeah, that's like... That's it like, just feels better. It would probably be better to have sex in the back of that, like, shitty van they're driving. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we, we also, we, I, we did skip over, they stop at the uh, gas station where you meet the cook early on, and he's out of gas, of course. And he's like, you should stay off of other people's property, which seems to be another thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, of course, that, like, that sets it something where it's like, alright, they're gonna need gas at some point. So the two characters end up wandering off at some point because they hear a generator running and like, oh, that person must have gas. It's actually a very, like, naturalistic way to kind of set up, like, how quickly these characters end up fucked by the plot, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I feel the need to point out the one the one female character that walks off uh, was reading from a book about Zodiac signs. And that's, hmm. that feels like a, an attempt to be, like, people trying to find order in the universe. And this movie's like, fuck that, you're just gonna, you're gonna make one wrong turn and you end up at Texas Chainsaw Massacre House. 
Well, yeah, there, there's no order in this film. It's, well, the whole movie is just about, like, yeah. fuck everything. Well, I also think know? it's, like, a particularly unstable time in America, people looking for order in the universe. And I think you can draw a line to today where Zodiac signs have kind of gone mainstream again. Yeah, yeah. You know? I don't think that's a coincidence. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, how long into it when uh, we end up going... It's, like, 30 minutes in when we finally go to the neighbor house... Yeah, and e- and even then, like I think there's a little bit after is when the the chainsaw starts revving, so to speak. You know, well, well, at first, yeah, it's like you just he- this movie gets you like it's it's a slow burn because you just start hearing like engines running, you know, mm-hmm. like where it's just like it just it puts you off kilter immediately, and there's just such a slow buildup of them approaching this house, and they're doing a very good job of like approaching it. Not frightened at all, you know? There, there's no part of that where in another horror film where everyone's like, I don't know about this. There's a little bit, but there's kind of like a, it's just a house, and they film it like it's just a house. Mm-hmm. There's a weird moment where they find a bunch of abandoned cars, <laughs> which is one of those like subtle story- storytelling moments where, or you know, you could write, write, you know, brush it off and be like, oh, maybe they repair old cars or something like that, when clearly it's that's not what's going on there. <laughs> You know, uh, you know what? It's it's framed like a normal house when the ma- the first guy Kirk is walking up to the house. It's normal there, um, and I want I want to say before we get to the bodies dropping because they do drop hard in this movie. Yeah, once it goes, it uh, goes. Yeah, um, that the actual like cinematography and like direction of the environments is like really almost kind of relaxing but almost uneasy like i don't know there's yeah. this weird vibe like the sunsets are like really striking and gorgeous and but it's also like desolate and empty and like you really feel like the futility of what they're about to embark on it's yeah. so weird well there's also this interesting thing they keep doing where the characters are so often in the background of shots where there's like flowers like extreme close up in the foreground you know Mm-hmm. Like, they're almost dwarfed by, like, the foliage around them. There's a lot of that in this movie. Which, it, it it captures that feeling of, like, when you go out to the country, and it's like, yeah, it's beautiful, but you're fucking being attacked by bugs the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> That's what this movie feels like. And it's really, like, one of those things where, like, you know, nature's the great equalizer. And you get that vibe. But I am so glad you brought up the cinematography. Because you know who the cinematographer is? Daniel Pearl. Daniel Pearl, who they brought back to do the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But you know Which what else? Which is not he... the problem with that movie, I just want yeah. to say. But you know what else he did? Alien vs. Predator Resurrection. Re- Requiem. A- Hell yeah, man! <laughs> another another point in the Matt Garingo box of AVPR is a secret masterpiece. Um, That movie is like this weird new nexus point for this podcast, I guess, because it is just unavoidable in like yeah. so many discussions now. And now with the third Skyline sequel coming out and like a bunch of that crew going over for, for that franchise, like, I I don't know. Something's up with that movie. <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling you, it's going to get, its day is coming. It's coming where people are going to re- recognize it as an underrated gem. Uh, still one of the more popular retrospectives we have on the podcast. So. I just want all you bastards to know I was first. <laughs> first guy through the door takes a bullet to the head. 
So <laughs> I was fucking first on Team AVPR. It's got moments for sure. I'm wait. Uh, fucking five years from now, you're gonna be like, "Yep, AVPR is genius." Like you've always believed that, you fucking coward. <laughs> no, I've been very clear that I do not believe that. Yeah, but once the worm turns. No. <laughs> Once some fucking scholarly guy writes about it, and it's not just Matt Garingo sitting here doped up on oxycodone. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. You'll all see. Then you're going to get bopped in the head by Leatherface. <laughs> going to bop you on the head. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, what, if when... Leatherface, what if Leatherface came out and it was George Lucas? I'm going to bop you on the head. It'd <laughs> 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 be horrifying. You know, Leatherface kind of has a George Lucas build. <laughs> I gotta be honest. <laughs> oh, this is the origins of Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> this is Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> this is oh, what George, George. No wonder George was busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm making all these independent films, uh, but I'm not gonna show them to anybody. The They're old ways like... was best. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, what was that? You 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 don't like my Star Wars prequel? So why don't you come out and check out my ranch? And he's just like cooking people. Yeah. He's cooking the haters. <laughs> he's making the digital film out of people. The other thing about cinematography is just like there are moments where like it's just like a, like a static shot of just like a room or something that's like somewhat inconsequential, but like you don't know what you're looking at half the time. <laughs> And that throws you off a little bit. Um, I think of when the the guy goes to the house the first time and he opens that door and we just get that shot of like, you know, the staircase and that long hallway. And we see, you know, know, taxidermied animals on the wall, which isn't that uncommon, especially in Texas. But it like takes a minute for your brain to put together exactly what you're looking at. And I guess this would be considered like the one of the ultimate jump scares when Kirk is walking through that house and then Leatherface just appears, bops him in the head with the yeah. hammer, and he, he just goes straight down. Like, he squeals, he hits him, and then he hits him again, drags the body away, and slams the door. There's no music, there's no other exterior sounds, it's just that action happening in the span of, like, three seconds. Fucking got me the first time. Yeah, it's fucking uh, horrifying. It's it's horrifying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's genuinely, like... And it's like, and again, I think it's the sound, and not like a music thing or anything. Or, and it's not even like a big like, blah. Like he just appears silently, and then it's that sound of that hammer hitting that skull. Like that's one of the most upsetting sounds I've ever heard. Yeah the the sheet metal door. I don't know why. That, oh yeah, that like, door. That yeah. like just capitalizing on the scene just fucks fucking hmm. ruins me. If you have the Criterion channel, make sure you watch uh, it on it's streaming currently on Criterion, and they got a very good copy because I rewatched my DVD copy and the Criterion copy recently, and uh, I got a pretty cheap DVD version. But oh. um, the sound was a little off, but uh, right. the Criterion one sounds great, so <laughs> be sure to check that out. Okay, but after that, then the framing of the house starts getting a little weirder. You know, you get that iconic yeah. shot with the shorts. I think if you look on YouTube, it's even called like Texas Chainsaw Massacre shorts scene. <laughs> it's, ha, 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 ha. Everyone's a fucking horn dog. 
but whatever. <laughs> um, like it, I can't it imagine. I gotta be honest. I can't imagine being horny for anything in this fucking movie. It's so disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> no, like that's the thing, right? It's like, oh yeah, girl butt with the red shorts. Like, yeah, I I get it because I'm a male dude in my twenties, but also like. With this movie, yeah, you just kind of can't go there. <laughs> when you know where those those red shorts are walking to, they're not exactly <laughs> sexy anymore. It, it's not arousing. I just get scared and worried. Yeah. Now would be a good time to mention that Toby Hooper filmed this movie hoping he would get a PG rating. Yeah, this man was from another planet. This yeah. wasn't a human being. Um, well, no, he was from Texas. <laughs> So, if you want well, to that explains it. Yeah, I mean, that's Toby Hooper, man. Um, be, because... He's like a legit maniac, and the more I discover about him, the more I appreciated him. Oh, uh, wow. Well, I saw wow. a movie with him where he, like, literally called up, I think he called up the MPAA or someone, he was like, yeah, I want a, I want a PG rating, Um, my movie has a scene in it where a woman gets hung on a hook. And he's like, how do I do that to get a PG rating? And the guy must on the other end must have been humoring him. Because they're just like, well, don't show blood. Like, don't show penetration, don't show blood. So he doesn't, but it's somehow so much worse what you see. And especially because he puts such emphasis on the fact that there's no back to her shirt. Like, it's, like, tied down, like, really low at the waist. And so... We see her bare back a lot in this film, so we just it it your brain does all that work for you. Uh, when she ends up on that fucking meat hook, like I I guess people have this like idea of Texas Chainsaw Massacre more so than like the actual film. Not that it's not grotesque and horrifying when you're actually watching it, but like the I could see like. This getting no no it couldn't get a PG thirteen but absolutely like, not absolutely no, not no no but like um the the movie does like it sets up the work for you it doesn't actually show like blood and guts spilling all over the place that doesn't yeah. mean it's not like provocative and disturbing because it so like clearly is like the most disturbing shit ever uh and it's brilliant at that you know like that's part of its brilliance among like so many other things that we're talking about like. It's like, oh my god, that was the bloodiest movie ever made. Like, no, it definitely wasn't. But that doesn't mean it was, like, not relentlessly disturbing to watch. Yeah, it's just one of the most effective you know. movies ever made. It got yeah, your fucking yeah. head, man. Like, it's that's where its brilliance comes in. Yeah, so after the whole meat hook debacle, uh, the movie just kind of doesn't stop at all. <laughs> well, now we, gotta, we, gotta, we have to take the time to eliminate, like, one more character who, uh... I can't remember. I can't remember that guy's name. I mean, that that's the thing about a movie like this is that yeah, this is one of the greatest films ever made. It's not really big on character. Yeah, not a character-driven film. Although Leatherface is a very compelling character. Leatherface is a great character. Um, yeah, just horrifying. Um, you know who? Uh, oh God, what's his name? He wrote. He was. He was on and wrote for the show Sherlock. Um, Mark something. Moffat. Mark Moffat is that the guy? No, no, not not, not Moffat, not Moffat. Um, the guy who's always with Moffat. Oh, he plays uh, Sherlock's brother, right? <laughs> yeah, what's that guy's name? Oh, I, I don't remember. Mark something. Let me look it up. I think it's Mark Gaddis. Mark Gaddis. That's it. Like yeah, that. Mark Gaddis. He did uh, a a little like documentary series that was like the history of horror films or something like that. 
Um, and it was like a, it was basically like a thing of him just going through his favorite horror films. And it, it kind of ends with a bit of a like weak sauce thing of him being like at a certain point he's like, I stopped like he stops liking horror kind of after a certain point where he's like I think it's all just shock and disgust and you know whatever that's his opinion. Um, but he talks about Texas Chainsaw Massacre in it, and in it, I, if I remember correctly, he says that he considers Leatherface to be the last classic movie monster. Which I think is an interesting take. I don't know. I've heard that, like, variations of that recently, actually. Not not oh, really? so much movie monster, but, like, he's the best of the slasher villains, I guess. Uh, and I, I don't know if I'd agree with that even. It's just something I've been hearing a lot recently, and I'm wondering why that is. Maybe more people are watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre just to feel something again. Yo, well, maybe it's that fucking Criterion has Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or right that now. too. Yeah, that, that's a good reason. I'm just saying that what what Criterion puts on it tends to it tends to determine the conversation <laughs> in film Twitter. They're just but, that uh, obvious. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just you know that's that's film Twitter. That's who we are. <laughs> and now, no offense. All right, not to be like a stick in the mud, but now everyone is spelling Texas Chainsaw Massacre differently. Well, there's. Did you notice it's Texas that? Chain Space Saw sometimes, right? And then Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Word. Yeah. Well, now everyone is spelling it with the space. Oh, okay. Because that's how Criterion did it. To the point where it is now how it is written on the Wikipedia page. What I I was listing the films I watched for Halloween this year. It's one word for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's one word. Fuck it. All the sequels are one word. It's one word. And the fucking poster, the great poster, it's one word. Yeah. So I'm I'm going with that. Oh yeah, that poster fucking rules. Yeah, yeah. I gotta get that poster. That's a great poster. Um, although that might be like a red flag. Poster. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I'd hang it up and be like, "Oh hey, welcome to my humble abode," like on a, on like on a yeah, first date or yeah. something like that, and just have that hanging up in your living yeah. room. Like, yeah. If if there's an opposite of a date movie, it's Texas <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> that might just be an opposite of a like a movie. Like on like I, yeah, I like, mean this in the positive way because it's such a visceral experience to sit down and like watch that. I don't know. You yeah. really. You kind of do have to be in the mood for something like this. You kind of both have to be on the same page. Like, this is one of those ones where it's entirely plausible that your soulmate, you guys will, if you like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you will never watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre with them. Because <laughs> it's just not a movie for everyone. But, uh, yeah, but to get it back to Leatherface, with him being the last classic monster point, um, a big thing he pointed out was that scene where he kills the third guy. And there's just this great moment of Leatherface running around the house scared. Because what's happening here really is that he's just really upset that people keep showing up at his house. <laughs> like he's genuine. It's it's just uh, it's a funny moment to me where it's like he's like why do like he's he's afraid of the people that he's violently murdering. You know, maybe that's another angle on the satirical side of it. You know, like a little bit. Yeah, I do think there is a lot of comedy in this. It's just it doesn't matter. <laughs> like the fucking Marx Brothers. The Marx Brothers could show up in this goddamn thing and it would still be a horror. No, the Marx Brothers show up and then Leatherface drags them to the basement and hangs them on meat hooks. He fucking murders Harpo. (laughs) Harpo screams for the first time as he's being murdered. (laughs) But, uh... Yeah, well, I mean, it's also to bring it back to Rob Zombie. That's been Rob Zombie's whole shtick is that all of his 
movies are very explicitly him trying to combine Texas Chainsaw Massacre with comedy. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's ex- explicitly Devil's Rejects is supposed to be like a kind of riff on Marx Brothers. And, you know, Three from Hell is straight up Three Stooges. <laughs> um, but no, Leatherface is, uh, I mean, he's, you know, he's clearly got some developmental issues. And so there's like a, there's like a tragedy yeah. there in that, in, in his uh, upbringing, I guess we'll call it. <laughs> You know? Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's some there's some gawking going on at, like, mentally handicapped. I mean, you know, there, that's just stuff, uh, people, that's just stuff that kind of has to go along with the horror genre a lot of the time. Yeah, I mean, that's like... I don't think there's a single horror film that doesn't have at least one giant problematic thing in it. Is it time to cancel Leatherface? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh, Leatherface. You you killed one too many. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, especially from, like, uh, I'll call it the before era, before COVID. You know, yeah. there was... There's just bound to be some stuff in that we're, territory. Yeah, I, I, I just that I think we're finally past the point where, like, I could go somewhere and be like, Oh man, Texas Chainsaw Ma- like post Texas Chainsaw Massacre is great, and then not have a stranger show and be like, "Oh, how can you Texas Chainsaw Massacre is disgusting in its portrayal of?" And it's like, you know, you got a point, but like, go away. Yeah, I mean, like, I think <laughs> there's other points to be I made. I think this that's one of the issues we kind of started having with social media, and that's not even like it's good that people are being more aware of these things and being made more aware of certain issues and like media and representation in society like that is an objective good thing but then you know you don't have to bring it up at every like possible opportunity like if someone's talking about like you know i had this really good chocolate from seeds candy today you don't rush into them like actually you know seeds candies using like child labor laws in brazil and stuff like that like yeah it's important to note that but if someone's just like la da 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 you know you don't hit them with that brick over the head (laughs) Well, a lot of times, thankfully, I think it's it's mostly younger people, you know, and they gotta they gotta rebel, they gotta try out shit like that. Better that than them just quoting South Park. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I mean, like there are there are much but, bigger fish to fry here. This is not real. This is me being an old yeah. man on a porch at most, you know. Like I will say one thing though that is eternally infuriating are the people where like you see when they play those cards, you mm-hmm. know. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where it's like, oh, you just happen to not like that movie. So now you're playing the card about how it's offensive, but then there's a movie that does the exact same thing, but you like that movie. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm not saying don't examine the problematic elements. I'm just saying that acknowledge that it they tend to be in some of your favorite movies, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every movie has pterodactyls. Yes. That was the thing we invented that yep, one time. I brought it back. Which we're not even going to nope, explain. Nope, I'm going to make a t-shirt, though. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's a good t-shirt. Orson um, Welles and the Terror I just want to point out... Sorry. <laughs> Here, this is go. Let's go. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to bring up that uh, a lot of Leatherface performances, thanks to the great, uh, late, great Gunnar Hansen, who uh, this is, you know... Everyone, like, hypes him up, but like, he does give a great performance, even though this is kind of like the one big movie he did. Like, he unfortunately only pops up in other movies with Chainsaw in the title that aren't sequels. 
The Texas Chainsaw. Um, how dare you? He also starred in the hit film Mosquito. Oh, yeah, my favorite movie. Well, guess what he wields in the climax of Mosquito? <laughs> a hammer. Guess what he picks up and he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he fights a bunch of giant mutant mosquitoes with a chainsaw. I love that movie, though. That is a good movie. Is it? <laughs> if you like that, if you like that sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> Here's the thing, people. Mosquitoes about giant mosquitoes. How do they become giant? Well, of course, an alien spacecraft crashes, and mosquitoes drink the blood of a dead alien. <laughs> Took a real straight line to get to that one. <laughs> but Gunnar Hansen was one of those guys where he would like pop, you know, he'd pop up in horror documentaries, and it was always kind of nice to see him because he always kind of seemed to have a little more insight than the average person that like that was their one claim to fame, you know. Like, where you see some people, like, the guy, like use that, I don't want to dunk on him, but the guy who played Jason in the in Friday the 13th 1, for, like, that brief scene, do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, he pops up at the end. He's he, Well, he's, like, he is in every horror convention, like, just coasting off the fact that he was technically the first Jason. You know? I mean, to be fair, I would try to coast off that, too. I would, too. But, I mean, but Gunnar Hansen was also a guy, like, he. it wasn't like he didn't do horror conventions and stuff, but he also kind of seemed to have more of, like, an understanding of, like, look, I did this movie in 1974. I, I had fun making it. I really like doing it. I'm glad people like it. And wasn't trying to be, like, you know, I'm the first Leatherface. And, you know. <laughs> there, there's a little more protein in his, like, discussions. Yeah. To the point where I, I I mentioned this to you off mic, but uh, he wrote a book about um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre called Chainsaw Confidential, which I've heard is good, but I haven't had time to read it. And you know that could also be seen as like, oh, he's trying to capitalize off it. From but from what I understand, he's he's a writer. He's like that's what he when his acting career didn't really go anywhere, he became a writer. His publishers wanted him to write an autobiography. And he was like, I don't really want to write an autobiography. I'd much rather write a book about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> so, like, he was encouraged to write an autobiography and instead chose to write about his experience on Texas Chainsaw and then, like, interviewed everyone that was still alive at that point. So, good for him. Yeah. I guess check it out if you're interested. I haven't read it, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, go to your local library right now. Maybe don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> do it when it's safe. In 2023. Yes. Um, the rest of the movie is... We, we could, like, break it down scene by scene, but I do want to start talking about Texas Chainsaw 2. Yeah, yeah, we, we'll get and, into it real quick. Um, yeah, and uh, the, the finale is just, like, a continuous, like, escalation of nightmare. We do have to mention uh, that Franklin gets chainsawed to death in a wheelchair. <laughs> He he does, and he, it's very unsettling. There's I don't think there's a single drop of blood in that scene. You can if if it's, you watch it, if you watch it, especially the Criterion cut, which is like a little cleaner, you can see them throwing blood on the Leatherface a little bit. You can oh, see okay, a little okay. bit of splattering, but it's so subtle, like it's very mm -hmm. understated. Uh, um, I really like the look of the night in that film, where it's like. You know, to, to go back to that nature and, like, the landscape discussion where it feels like it's inescapable at that yeah. point. Like, if you look at the scene, like, you try to, like, break it down moment to moment. 
I I don't really have a sense of direction yeah. of where um they're running to and from, but I think that makes it even scarier. Well, it's because there it is like a nightmare, it, you know, like yeah. there's no escape. Well, it feels like you're right there, and I think it's one of those things where, like, that's not how you would light a night scene, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I yeah. went out and I'm like, all right, I want to chase scene through the woods, you would not light it that way. And it's just like through, you know, not to like, you know, dunk on him, but it's like through sheer incompetence stumbling into brilliance. Which is <laughs> like that's what gives it its flavor. Where it's like they didn't they didn't really know how to light the scene, but that's what makes it so much scarier. Um you know what it actually reminded me of? This is gonna be a weird poll, get ready. Um, what? You know, Red Letter Media? Oh my god. Um, yeah, I own the movie they made, like, a decade before they got famous. <laughs> um, called Gorilla Interrupted. <laughs> oh my god. And there are scenes in that movie where Rich Evans is the star of it, and they just threw Rich Evans in the woods, like, barefoot, and, like, made him, like, walk around, and he's getting genuinely hurt on camera. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just, like, him, like, falling through the woods, or, like, go fall, like, through a bunch of, like, bushes and shit. And he's, like, you're watching someone really get hurt. And that's exactly what you're watching in Texas Chainsaw when you're watching Sally, like, try to get through those, like, trees. Yeah, she's actually getting cut up and shit. Yeah. Everyone talks about Stanley Kubrick deliberately torturing Shelley Duvall on the set of The Shining to get her performance. Which, you know, fuck that. But it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre did the exact same thing just on accident. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it was just through, like, non-union film crews not knowing how to make a movie. (laughs) They inadvertently captured the terror that Stanley Kubrick was going for. And maybe a little better, frankly. I'm not a, a Stanley Kubrick dunker by any means, but I do prefer Tobe Hooper's filmography. Like, just, just on a personal um, level. What was that what name? What was that name you just said? Tobe, Toby Hooper. Toby Hooper. I'm never letting you live that down because you fucking made me... I had it right, and then I humiliated myself in front of the world because you talked me into his name being fucking Tobe Hooper. <laughs> fucking guy. I want people to know I'm that. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm that's, sorry. I've said a lot of embarrassing shit on this show, and that's like the one <laughs> thing that's going to haunt me forever. Tobe, Toby, potato, potato. Yeah, and the last, the last like half hour of this movie is just Sally running from the sound of a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yeah. There, I mean, there's the, the iconic dinner scene. Mm. We meet the cook. There's there's a great scene where where the cook uh, beats her with a broom. <laughs> um, but uh, there's also this like great like shot where like there's never a moment of dialogue that says it but where she's slowly putting together that the hot dogs the cook's been making are probably made of human flesh that's that's a great little moment and it's just a great like scenes like that don't really need to be in this movie where he like wraps her up and throws her in the car and he's about to leave and he's like oh yeah i gotta turn off the lights because i don't want the electricity bill to be too high that it's hilarious but it's also like just so terrifying because like this whole world of this girl has been destroyed now. Like she's not coming out of this. Okay. Like even if she survives, I you think know? that's and where like, the humor comes from, where it's like, this is the worst day of this woman's life. She will never get over the events that are occurring to her in this film. And then for these three chuckleheads, it's like an average day. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. That's where I think some of the humor comes from. We're like, when he gets to the house, he's like, look what your brother did to the door. Like, <laughs> <coughs> that's really, oh my God. That's really funny. And then we find out that Grandpa's corpse that was in the attic isn't actually a corpse, that he's still alive, where he's, like, drinking the blood from her finger. Like, Oh, that's so, like, just... Oh, the way this movie gets under your skin with shit like that, just constantly. They find new ways to, like, agitate the human body. Yeah, it's like, uh, it's... I think I've heard it described as one of those movies that makes you want to take a shower after it's over. Oh, yeah. Like it, it's 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 one of those movies I want to like drench myself in bleach with. Yeah. <laughs> after you know, like yeah, just pour bleach into your eyes so you can get rid of the horrible <laughs> memories. <laughs> or like you no, know, Danny DeVito, and it's always sunny when he's like dousing himself in Purell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to be pure. <laughs> like that's me after watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I got to talk about a weird little moment in this, which is uh. When the cook and bring Sally, like, right before dinner, um, Leatherface, you know, he's been putting on different faces and stuff like that. He's, at, at this point in the film, he's very clearly dressed up in a more feminine way um, with his Leatherface skit up, uh, which we can talk about, you know, like, that goes back to the Ed Gein thing with, like, the making the uh, suit, like, out of, like, women parts and shit like that. But it's also, like, this really weird moment where it's, like, Leather, like, because Grandma is dead. She is like a skeleton upstairs. So Leatherface has just taken the place of the only woman that was in this group, which is just like a moment that like you don't want to think about too long. You know, not to get like not to like open up that gender can of worms, but it's just like I I can't not at least acknowledge it. And talk about a genre that's kind of had some gender problems. It's horror, but. Uh, yeah, oh, 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 boy, has it. But, um, yeah, like, how do you even, like, approach that? Yeah, I just, I, like, <laughs> like I, in a discussion. I couldn't, like, not acknowledge. But I also have to point out that there's, the cook is, like, yelling at Leatherface, who's, like, being very submissive, which is, like, the first time we've kind of seen him do that. And, uh, he's like, he's like, what are you doing? You get rid of the bodies? And Leatherface is like, oh, no, I took care of it. Look, like, like, he's, like, pointing, I was like, I put one here, I put one here, I put one here. And then he's like, the cook's like, like, all right. And then he's like, but you broke the door and then starts hitting him. Like, it was like he was looking for an excuse to just start hitting Leatherface. Yeah, like, yeah. Again, I think some of the weird, like, dark humor of the movie, which, again, like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's equally as horrifying. I actually read a really good take, which is that, like, this movie lives in, like, this weird area where it is simultaneously both comedy and horror like not in the way that we have comedy horror movies where it's like the comedy elements and the horror elements feed each other and then it grows at like an exponential rate that's an interesting take i don't know if i completely agree with it just because to me the horror is so overwhelming Um, the last we can just skip to the last 10 minutes of the movie which, yeah, because it's just a chainsaw chase where sally jumps through two glass windows yeah and I, talk, I, I also mentioned this, that like I, I've been loving the Criterion Channel's uh, 70s horror collection um, because, like, a lot, like, I would say, like, half of them are good, half of them are bad movies, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. But every one of them contains 
a moment that I would consider like cosmic level good. <laughs> like at least one moment. And like for Wicker Man, I think like Wicker Man, like if if have you seen the original Wicker Man? I have. Um, yeah, that's a like solid movie, but it's not like horrifying until like that last stretch, really. Um, yeah. But those last ten minutes of Wicker Man are like cosmic, and I feel the same way about the last ten minutes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's just that the rest of the film happens to be horrifying too in this case. Mm-hmm. But like that last like chase of just like you're just hearing that chainsaw and just like the lighting, and then it's like the. It's the middle of the like it's sunrise, like that's where it's like that's the other thing where it's like you thought they were having dinner in the middle of the night. They were having breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> she crashes through that window and it's daytime. And oh my god, like I can't even like no words I could do right now could really justify how good the last ten minutes of this movie are. Yeah, um, it it does feel like I, I know we keep saying it feels like a nightmare, but like that's. There's no better explanation for like what this movie presents itself as, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like there there is that segment when Leatherface is chasing Sally right out of the house and it's like that right early hour of of morning where the sun's not quite out yet and it's kind of like misty and foggy and it just feels like she left a place that she didn't enter. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I it's mean? So <laughs> and, um oh god, it's so Yeah, and then so... by the time she gets back to the road we're just like, please end, please, <laughs> something happen. Like, just let it end. Yeah. And, like, the movie doesn't really have, like, like uh, anything we'd consider, like, a traditional ending, you know? And, like, I think that's to its benefit, because there's no better encapsulation to this movie mm. than Leatherface swinging his chainsaw yeah, the, the, at sunrise the chainsaw as Sally dance. screams and laughs away. The chainsaw dance is, like, just, it's that's beautiful, is what it is, frankly. Yeah, like that's... you can kind of see him almost kind of catch the camera guy with the chainsaw. Yeah, but... yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> yeah. they literally just like like whip this chainsaw around. Like that's crazy. <laughs> like yeah. I'm sure they took like you know the sharp parts out of it so it wouldn't hurt anyone, but still. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, have you ever done uh, Could... Have you ever done Halloween Horror Nights? I have. Um, Those are awesome. And they do. I the, miss them. Yeah, they do the like chainsaw brigade every every now and then. Where they yeah. Have people... Those, if you look at them, they're they're like functioning chainsaws, but they take out the moving parts. Like they take out the like uh, I don't know what the term would be because I'm not a, a mechanically minded person, but the part that would actually cut your skin is removed, mm-hmm. but it still revs up like a chainsaw. So I think that I at least I hope that's what they did. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just saying like who knows because. The way the rest of the production played out. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. That's the last thing we need is some camera guy at the last day to get fucking clipped by the chainsaw <laughs> dance. But no, like I said, I, it's it's a it's a, such a fucking great moment. Very close to being the best film of 1974. What would be better? Um, the only film I could... Like, I, I went... I was going to be like Mr. Fucking Cool Horror Guy because I've been making my list for like every year. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to put Texas Chainsaw. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I think that's like Godfather 2 year, I think. That's fucking uh, Chinatown year. Like, I don't give a fuck. I'm putting Texas Chainsaw above him. But then I saw A Woman Under the Influence was 1974. And oh. I was like, fuck, I can't. Like, I, that movie's too <laughs> good. You know? 
Yeah, that it almost feels wrong to put other movies in front of that I one. I finally had the balls to say that Night of the Living Dead is a better movie than 2001 A Space Odyssey, but <laughs> uh, I couldn't I couldn't go the extra mile and say that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was better than A Woman Under the Influence. So, John Cassavetes Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. You know what? He would have been the guy to do it, frankly. Yeah. Like he uh-huh. he could have done it. He probably had no fucking interest. And was probably disgusted by the suggestion, but uh, he would have been the perfect dude. So, we've got to move on, though, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Yeah. And I don't feel like we're leaving the first film in the dust because, you know, it's it's all Tobe Hooper's filmography. It's impossible to leave this movie behind. Once it's with you, it's with you forever. <laughs> yeah, it was unleashed into the world, and there's no escape from it. But this is like, this movie's uh, made, like, over a decade later produced by fucking canon films <laughs> which is crazy because i don't know if you know this but uh uh one of the one of the multiple crazy things about the original texas chainsaw massacre is that the dis- distribution company that they picked for the movie ended up being a mafia front <laughs> whoa you didn't know that no yeah so there's like all these countries cuz texas chainsaw massacre is a movie that i think adjusted for inflation made like over a hundred million dollars good lord like it was like this genuine hit and everyone on it got paid by getting a percentage of the film like that was oh, how that's ever, good how, how, how everyone was going to get paid well yeah good idea but not when the dis- distributors are mafia <laughs> so guess who didn't end up seeing any of the fucking money Oh, no. I think a little later they all saw something, but it wasn't what they were owed. And oh, that's too bad. I'm willing to bet it turned out to be one of those problems where the uh, this release was like a mafia front, and then the movie was like too successful. <laughs> I'm willing to bet like some eyes were looking at them that they weren't hoping to see, you know? I know it was like this whole thing. Because like, I, I guess what happened where like Toby Hooper couldn't find it because no one was like, people saw this movie... And was like, we're not distributing this fucking thing. Like, <laughs> no one wanted to do it, so he ended up with like a mafia front. <laughs> I think it was like a mafia front in conjunction with another group that I also believe did like Deep Throat, the pornography movie. <laughs> you know what? Oh no, no, never mind. I'm thinking Night of Living Dead because mm. that one had a a porn producer trying to go straight too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Man, that was like that's like the era of that's why cinema was good. <laughs> you had all these fucking porno makers that were like, "Yeah, but I got to make something that's not porno." <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what we need nowadays. I need a Brazzers produced Avengers film. Hey, no, no. Here's what you do: all the women that are fucking going to the bank with all the money they're making through OnlyFans because of quarantine, fucking start financing movies. Oh hell yeah! All the people that are, if you're, especially the professionals, if you got photographers or something, all those guys secretly in their back pocket have some art film they want to make. Fucking finance it. <laughs> I want. I'm, oh my god! I, I want that's a what I renaissance see. of cinema that was driven by OnlyFans. <laughs> Chainsaw Massacre 2. The buzz is back. Directed by Toby Hooper. Roger Ebert called this film 
Actually, he didn't call us anything. He said, It carries a proud old name in the annals of exploitation, but its only ambition is to outgross the original film. It fails. This is from his one-star review. Well, he's not entirely wrong. That's why Cannon made this movie. <laughs> what is the deal with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? <laughs> um, there's no one sentence that can sum that up. Like... Mm. For, I guess one thing to point out is that it was written by L.M. Kit Carson, who wrote fucking Paris, Texas. This is his follow-up to Paris, Texas. Wow. Yeah, that's like one of like the many things that's up with this movie. Um, that's a terrific film and nothing like this film for anybody who wants to watch other cinema. Canon Films yes. presents... Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, written by L.M. Kit Carson, starring Dennis Hopper, and the poster looks like The Breakfast Club. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's that's all you need, right? Yeah, I I guess. This is like an unsolvable math problem. Like, none of those elements should ever be in the same sentence. And yet, not only are they in the same sentence, they're sometimes in the same scene. Oh, boy. Uh, Uh, Yeah, this is... So, as we talked about, Toby Hooper was very upset a lot of people didn't pick up on the humor (laughs) of the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So at at some point I I don't know exactly how the deal was made, but like Cannon got the rights to Texas Chainsaw Massacre at some point, and I guess they offered it to Toby Hooper, who was in the Cannon wheelhouse at that time. I believe this is after Life Force. Yeah, this comes out a year after Life Force, and he makes this he makes this and Invaders from Mars in the same year for Cannon Films. Lord. Which is crazy. I don't know why Cannon stuck with him because, like, all three of these movies bombed. Like, but they, I guess they liked him. Yeah. I mean, this one did better mm. than those. Yeah, this one did the best, but, but I know that they were genuinely, they were, like, particularly upset with this one because they, they felt it wasn't the horror film they wanted. Mm. Which also to bring it back to New Wave is like that time Cannon Films produced John Luke Goddard's adaptation of King Lear. <laughs> and John Luke Goddard put audio of uh, those. What are those guys' names? Golan and Globus. One of those guys yelling at, le- leaving an angry voicemail about him making the movie and some of the weird things he was doing, and put it in the film. <laughs> King Lear is John Luke Goddard's King Lear is kind of like a prank on Canon Films. Um, I like French New Wave now. It, yeah, no, it's not a good movie. It's really not worth <laughs> it. Like it's you know. It's like, oh, that's funny. And then, like, oh, there's, like, a, a movie, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, what is the plot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2? Uh, a radio DJ named Stretch is uh, on picking up phone calls on her talk show, this radio movie. show, whatever. <laughs> this movie jumps through so many hoops to bring these elements together. Like it does, a, but here's how it opens with a chainsaw fight, <laughs> a, mo- a moving car chainsaw fight. Like, yeah, that the, the DJ Stretch picks up on her radio show, records it, and takes it to a former Texas Ranger named Lefty, played by Dennis Hopper. 
who has been hunting the chainsaw killer across Texas. Oh yeah, he's Franklin and Sally's uncle. Yeah. Right? And he gets a great I don't want to jump too far ahead, but he gets a great soliloquy with Franklin's destroyed wheelchair. <laughs> Oh, well, it's Franklin's body. Yeah, yeah, Franklin's but it's still the, still in there. the wheelchair is still there. They left, even in death, Franklin got stuck in that fucking chair. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, you know, that seems simple enough, I guess. Um, I, I've really simplified it because these elements kind of come and go at the beginning for a little bit. Yeah. It's impossible to be like, this is what Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is about. Because, yeah. I think, for one, I want to say with this opening, um, I think uh, there's a little bit of commentary going on between the shift in our culture between the 70s and 80s. um, Where you get a lot of... uh, I feel like there's a lot more sympathy for like the... kind of burned out flower children of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Whereas mm-hmm. here, like the two teen characters we're introduced to in the beginning are like, like they're just disgusting and awful and they deserve what they get. They're John Hughes characters. Yeah. Hey, you know what? You're right. Yeah. They kind of are John Hughes characters. Um, Oh, I wrote a thing here to describe them that I probably can't say on the podcast. <laughs> Um, should I say it and then you can cut it if you think it's too much? Sure. I wrote, um, it was like young people in the 70s versus 80s. I wrote, these guys look like the type of people who would cover up a Um, you're not wrong. (laughs) wrong. (laughs) Is this one for the uncut listeners? I think so. (laughs) Whoa! Patreon, <laughs> Patreon numbers dropped to zero. <laughs> oh my god! I um, mean, that's the vibe I got. Yeah, they look like all the teens that were like, like that liked Reagan, you know. So, like I said, Johnny was characters. Yeah, but what I'm saying, is, I have a particular beef. I gotta be honest. Like, you know what? If you're older, fine. You're probably nostalgic for the good old days, whatever. But I believe that if you are between the ages of 18 and 40, it is your duty to not like the president. (laughs) I do not like people of our generation that like the president, no matter who the president is. It's our job to not like the president. (laughs) So, yeah, I just got like a very like, oh, these kids like Reagan. They were raised by hippie parents, and now they're going to support Ronald Reagan and, you know, H.W. Bush and then fucking Newt Gingrich and his fucking contract with America. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're shitheads. There's no sympathy for these people. Luckily, one of them gets their fucking face on in half of the chainsaw. And that's a great effect. Oh, it's like, so good. It, like, it's... slides off. I know. And, like, I saw how they did it because I, I like the channel dead meat oh yeah a lot yeah. and um they they go in detail about that and so like i guess they kind of like sewed it together and then after the quote-unquote cut in the scene they like pull this string and it just lets it kind of open up <laughs> like a flower <laughs> it's so nasty but it's awesome mm-hmm. yeah it's awesome here it's horrifying in the previous film i gotta ask so i get why that's like yeah not 
for everyone. Again, talk about shifting norms where it's like, I, I think this is why Toby Hooper decided not to make this horror film. It's like, by this point, we've we've had about a decade of Texas Chainsaw imitators, and they've all been pushing the boundaries of violence. So I don't think this is just a parody of Texas Chainsaw 1. I think this is just a parody of the slasher genre in general. I'm glad you said that because honestly, I kind of got like new nightmare scream vibes. Yeah, yeah. In a way. And I mean, and this is the year I think where uh you start seeing like nightmare and Friday the 13th start getting a little more self-referential, you know? Like this mm-hmm. is where that shift starts. I don't think it goes into full swing until after this, but I think Texas Chainsaw was like the first to be like we're parodying the genre. And we're just going to lean into the tropes and have fun with it while also delivering on disgusting horror. Yeah, like fun. It's fun to watch, but like the the events of the film are still like terrifying. Yeah, well, it's one of those ones where it's like, you know, like I said, the first movie, it's like you want to take a shower movie. This one, you're kind of like impressed with the violence in it. Yeah. Um, Although there are a couple moments that are like shower inducing, I I guess, would be the first. Yeah, yeah. Alright, I gotta say, what the fuck is going on with this scene? Like, Leatherface gets out of the car and is, like, dancing with the corpse? Oh, that corpse is supposed to be, uh, the hitchhiker, right? Is it? I I think so. I never picked up on that. Oh, that's great, if that's true. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. And it's, because, like, uh, that is Chop Top's brother, Okay, alright, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I never picked up on uh, that one. That's that's on me. Um, but he's like, but like Leatherface does a dance with them. Because well, they're family. It's it's. I don't know. I just don't understand. Like, w- like I, I like when you watch a moment like that, you're like, what was writing that scene like? <laughs> like, what does that say on the like? What does it say on the script? You know. Well, like here here's the thing because I think it's clear we're both fans of this film. Uh, I I don't fully understand this film. <laughs> I will make no like pretense about like this is what Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two is about. Mm. I have some ideas about what it's about moment to moment. I don't understand like yeah. it while I'm watching it <laughs> at all. Now here's a question: Did you watch it by yourself this last time? Yes. Yeah, I think that's part of what makes because this movie. I can't think what it is. Anytime I've watched this with someone the movie suddenly clicks. Like, there's something really? about the communal okay. aspect of watching this movie because it's just... Especially if it's with someone who hasn't seen it, it's fun to start watching their reaction and then, like, you're just bouncing off, like... When you go, like, what the fuck is that? They're saying, what the fuck is that? So... Which, uh... To bring it back to George Lucas... <laughs> I also think the perfect way to watch the Star Wars prequels is with people. I think that's the way you're supposed to watch those movies because you can bounce off like talking about scenes while they're happening. So you can get the high ground? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> I just did a yes. <laughs> yes, queen. But uh, yeah, that's exactly what you do. Um, so I think that's a a way to watch it but yeah there's no there's no answers there's only questions 
<laughs> uh, but one of the things I do think the film is trying to, like, be about, and I think actually succeeds, is, like, not just, like, poking at the slasher genre in the midst of the release of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the sequel, but, like, the iconography of Texas specifically. Yeah. Like, with the, the, the chili contest, right? Like, how oblivious the people are. Like, the lady pulls out a tooth from her chili that she eats. Yeah. And she doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think it's trying to be nice about anything at all. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? I also and, think... And later in the film, like, Lefty breaks down, like, that that wall, and a bunch of guts come out. And that wall is, like, a, a Texas yeah, icon or something like yeah. that, right? <laughs> it's a very explicitly a, uh, you know... I, I believe it's maybe the Alamo or something, but it's something commemorating um, U.S. history, right? Okay, if, if it's the Alamo, that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's something... That's, yeah. It's something like that, and it's literally like, oh, behind this mural depicting greatness is blood, like... <laughs> It's it's pretty on the nose. But, uh, yeah, I think that's partly what it's going for. Too. I also think it's the rise of Texas a little bit. Because um, Texas suddenly becomes a much more powerful political force in this country around that time. Because we go from Texas being like, you know, the you put Texas in the title of Texas Chainsaw Massacre because Texas is supposed to be a frightening place. <laughs> And now it's like, oh no, Texas is like one of the one of the main blocks of the Republican Party now. So now this country has to treat Texas like it's an inherently great place. <laughs> so I think that's some somewhat what's going on here. Because <laughs> next, I mean, what we went from the cook being like he's still a small businessman. And he's always talking in this movie about small businessman getting in the ass. Um, but he's now, he's gone from being, like, just some guy with a shack to now he's being celebrated for his meat. <laughs> it's like the shift. Never skimp on the meat. Yeah, but it's like the shift, and, like, he went from being, like, the outsider who was maybe rightfully left behind by this country <laughs> to now he's in a position of power. <laughs> so he's running the whole chili thing for this fucking uh, big football game that's coming up. Oh, God, yeah, that's so fucking gross. Like, now he has a position of power. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, also, th- this is the first time we hear his name, too, right? It's Drayton Sawyer. Yeah, I still just, I just call him the cook. Like, I'm just... No, used... I mean, I, I'm totally fine with that, mm. too. I just, I wanted to note that. Yeah, now you... he has, like, an identity. He has I... a face to put to the identity, I guess. I gotta say, this is, like, these movies are, like, the only films that guy did. He's fucking great. Like he should have been like a great character actor. Yeah, he's really good. Um, that's that's too bad he never did much else. He's just he's so good and he's just so charismatic when he's on screen. It's fun to watch him, even when he's doing awful things. We're we're uh, we're stretching over stretch. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. who I just I really like stretch as a character. I do too. Um, uh, Caroline, played by Caroline Williams. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know her from much, but she's really great in this. Yeah, I think she mostly did other horror films after this. Oh, okay. Good for her. Yeah, I always no. see popping on horror documentaries, and I think she was in uh, Halloween 2, the Rob Zombie Halloween 2. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes perfect <laughs> sense. <laughs> uh, I just I like her character as, like, this DJ, which has got to be one of the maybe the worst jobs 
like that's a job you do if you love if you're a woman because there's because she's getting harassed by those guys over the phone in the opening, mm-hmm. and you know that that was that was that probably happens a lot to female DJs. But yeah. I don't know. I just I I like her character. I just think it's a fun idea. Like she's a radio DJ who just wants to help, and it's like the worst decision she ever made. Yeah. Well, like she has like this urgency in her. Like, in her own agency, I guess, to kind of, like, mix metaphors or whatever. But, like, um, how she's genuinely, like, interested in, like, solving, like, hey, like, this is, this leads to something bigger. Like, like her career has led her to, like, finally more than just, like, playing the greatest hits, you know? Like, she can kind of make her own little mark, yeah. so to speak. Well, I think you're right about her being a problem solver, because part of her thing is she has people call in and she, like, gives advice, you know, like a lot of, like, DJs kind of did for a while. Like mm-hmm. drop her science, like that's her own little thing, like trying to help the world. And I think that comes into play later when she, when her and Leatherface's dynamic eventually starts to develop, where she's having. Yeah, to talk. we could call that a dynamic. Yes, that's what we will call it until we dig into it a little more. And then, of course, you we we talked about Lefty played by Dennis Hopper, which somehow with all the characters we're going to cover, he might be the craziest guy in the movie. <laughs> he's been hunting these chainsaw killers and there's a scene in it which might be one of my favorite scenes in cinema where he goes to buy his arsenal of chainsaws which doesn't make sense on any level of being like how am I going to fight these chainsaw killers by having my own chainsaws it's the scene of him like testing out the chainsaws and the guy in the background just laughing well he's like scared I think yeah. It's I think. a, it's I a wild scene. And it's also a scene that I feel I, I, I have no evidence of this, but I think it might be lifted directly from Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the scene when Tuco goes and builds the gun that he's going to use to hunt Clint Eastwood down with. Oh my god. <laughs> and he builds like the master gun. Which also, if you watch that scene and you know anything about guns, you know what he's doing doesn't make any sense. Much like Dennis Hopper loading up on chainsaws doesn't really make any sense. So, I don't know. It feels very similar. <laughs> well, is is this Toe Hooper's good, the bad, and the ugly then? Like, I... Stretch is the good, Lefty's the bad? No, I or think... the ugly? Well, here's the thing. It's Well, it's, I think one of the things with uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, it's like, they're kind of all three of those things, those three characters. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I think you could make the argument that Lefty and the family are both interchangeably bad and the ugly. Because Lefty ends up kind of being the villain of this film. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... A lot of what's happening is his, is his fault. And talk about later when we talk about the scene where he finds that mural and he kicks it open and all the blood pours out. And we talk about, like, oh, it's a mural of Texas. And it's like, oh, beneath this facade, there's this violence and blood and carnage. And then, but his takeaway is, it's the devil's business. <laughs> like, he immediately goes the wrong direction, which I think could be seen as a commentary on the new moralism of, like, the Reagan era where it was trying to bring back, like, right and wrong, you know? As, like, a mm-hmm. combat to, like, the morally gray 70s. I think lefty's Ronald Reagan. Maybe not a direct parallel, Bring but, um... it all down! <laughs> <laughs> Which, I gotta say, again, to talk about the comedy of this movie, the amount of static shots of him just, like, screaming... 
<laughs> and it's like just like a wide shot of him like running and then slowly opening a gate while he's going like ah like <laughs> that's like peak comedy for me yeah no no it's it this one is funny this one i get the funny <laughs> yeah like with you know all this other shit but now i think is a good time to talk about chop top one of the greatest supporting characters in movie history. Yeah, his introduction is just fantastic. <laughs> and Played by the great Bill Mosley, who yep. also shows up in uh, Rob Zombie stuff. And you know how Bill Mosley got the part? Oh, oh, I actually do know this. <laughs> he made a parody of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with some buddies, and Tobe Hooper saw it and cast him in the movie because he... He was played... playing the hitchhiker in the parody. Yeah, and he—I guess. Do you remember he, the name of the parody? I think it was called the Texas Chainsaw Manicure or something like that. Okay, yeah, that's it. I've never seen it, but I've seen clips from it. Um, but it did a very good job, like recreating the movie, which is you know in a pre-internet era, that's actually still kind of impressive. Yeah. Um. But I guess he, uh, Hooper was like reached out to him was like I want to give you a part in like the sequel and he thought he was getting a small part and he gets Chop Top who's like one of the main dudes uh yeah Chop Top's fantastic and it's like a five minute introduction for this guy yeah it just keeps going he just keeps talking it's like a whole monologue me and my brother Bo we listen to you every night oh it's so good music Uh, is my life music is my life uh, <laughs> um, and it's great to pay. Yeah, Leatherface, you bitch dog, you ruined my Sonic Bono wig. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a fucking plate in his head. That he's always picking at, which is disgusting. Yeah, I don't get what that is. Is he eating bits of his flesh? Yeah, he's pick. He's picking the skin and eating that. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the grossest thing I've it's ever heard. So awful. <laughs> Now I'm flashback. Now I'm flashback. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, and then you know he was in the the backstory is that he was in Vietnam during the yeah. events of the first film, and that's why he gets the plate. And so there's um, the more satirical elements of like, oh yeah, this is what the Nam veterans came back as. Yeah, almost, and know? I was there was some more details I heard in the background. I didn't the the subtitled version. I was watching the movie with subtitles, and there was like they didn't subtitle these conversations I kind of heard in the background, so I couldn't make it out. But there was some backstory going on with him where he, like, he somehow, like, set up the whole Texas battleground place for them to live. Like, I didn't pick up on all the details, but there was more going on there. Um, Another thing I want to point out, just uh, as a reference to the first movie, where I talked about that movie felt like the end of the world was happening at the periphery of everything... Um, this movie, you hear radio broadcasts, and they're all talking about how, like, soybean futures are up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, all these things about how great the country's doing, which, again, very reflective of the Reagan era. <laughs> mm. No fallout from that. Yep. Yeah, that's that's how that works. It just It's always good. Always <laughs> boom, never bust. And, uh, uh, I guess the other thing is that um, we talked about a Leatherface's introduction in the first movie is like one of the great jump scares. I also think this one's a good jump scare. Right oh here. no, it's terrific! 
like down the down this dark hall. Yeah. It only lights up when he revs the chainsaw and charges at Stretch and Chop Top, and skims Chop Top's head. Yeah, that reveals the, the metal plate. That, the that's plate. so good. Get that bitch Leatherface. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he's alternately going. Chop Top's going like Leatherface, you fuck. Like he's like yelling at him, and then like he'll be like. Well, you get that bitch Leatherface. Like, he keeps like, <laughs> like the two gears like all the time. And you know what? I think that's why I can kind of understand why someone might not like this film too. Mm. Uh, this is kind of Tobe Hooper's Bad Boys too, in that it's yeah. just pure excess. Yeah. And like it's so much, like it's it's writing like eleven all the time. And if you can't vibe with that, I totally get it. Well, we also get another... That, like, that does get it to be obnoxious. We get another bit. hammer to the face scene, and it goes on for so fucking long. Yeah. Um, the character LG just getting hit in the face over and over again with a hammer. Um, and it just keeps going. <laughs> um, but I think the bigger uh, moment of excess is uh, the scene where Leatherface dry humps... <laughs> A stretch with a chainsaw. Yeah. Um, well, first he has to, because the chainsaw is revving up, he shoves it into the ice to cool it down almost. Yeah, and it like gets and, her and wet. It's like, it's so obvious what's happening here. Like, yeah. I almost wonder if like, I feel like that the conversations about knives and horror films being like phallic symbols and stuff like that, I feel like that must have been like kind of going mainstream at the time. And this feels like Hooper kind of like, like making fun of those ideas, because <laughs> he literally then like after he gets turned on by Stretch, who starts calling him like a good boy and saying he's the best, <laughs> which is just like whoa, so ridiculous. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he struggles to start the chainsaw. He struggles to perform. What a what a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, like. Leatherface is, like, a complicated character just from his limited amount of screen time and the limited amount that we know about him, you know? Yeah. Like, he's forced to perform in the traditionally womanly roles, mm -hmm. you know? Like, the, the you know, again, not to throw that gender grenade no, in no, the it's middle a of totally, conversation. No, no, it's totally uh, appropriate to bring up, I think. Uh, yeah, and then it's, like, it stopped him from performing and he doesn't know how to, like, interact with human beings obviously because of like you know the whole cannibal thing and the murder yeah. but like <laughs> i don't know it's it's so just that it goes there is is very i don't know if it's admirable but it's interesting Bubba's got it's, a girlfriend yeah <laughs> well that, that's later <laughs> he doesn't know that first uh, uh but it, it it's just like ludicrous it, it's all the most insane shit you'll ever watch yeah it's it's just pure insanity like again it's like i can't we probably can't even keep up with it no no i wouldn't try to it's yeah it's just it's a fucking wild movie there's like the later scene where he's trying to put the face on her that's a moment well no they fail to kill uh stretch's assistant at first and then they skin him anyways and then it's revealed later that he's still kind of alive yeah we never find that does, does he die he dies, right? He, yeah, he dies. In I, that I think moment. he dies after he helps her. Yeah, but he, he had a rough, he had a rough go of it, LG. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, he wasn't coming back from that. Yeah. So, LG had LG had an unfortunate, um, 
You know what's crazy though? Yeah. Is that the body count in this movie is like two people. Well, it's okay. That we that's weird. So uh, to bring it back to Dead Meat, a channel that is much bigger than ours and does not need to be referenced, but whatever. They they I think he tallied like eight because everyone in the movie except Stretch dies. Like yeah, every I mean, central character dies, but but in the sequels, Leatherface comes back. In this, I think he does die. Yeah, but we don't see him really. There's enough ambiguity Which... that he gets a chainsaw through the stomach, but. He's leather. And then a grenade goes off. He's the, he's Leatherface, though. You never know. I mean, I guess, but like... And I think there was a, a big, like, s- slasher scene that was deleted from the movie that would have involved, like, more civilians getting killed. And I think it was cut out for, like, uh, pacing reasons. And I, I, I've heard it's like this, like... It was... I don't even know if they filmed it, but it was, like, an elaborate scene. And... I, I, I think it's the right move. I, I would say if I had one complaint, I think the movie kind of it's a it it's approaches being a little too long. Um where it wears out its welcome. Like Texas Chainsaw, the first one's eighty three minutes, this one's like a hundred and one. I think eighty three is about right for any movie titled Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Um Yeah, I, I honestly do wish it was a little shorter. Um and the, the central character is like, it's a small scale movie. Yeah. It's honestly just kind of as small as the first. Like, it, the plot makes it seem like it's going to be bigger at first, but the focus becomes so narrow that it's like irrelevant. It's just more over the top. And I also think maybe part of that was uh, famous, like we talked about, where Toby Hooper wanted a PG rating and uh, failed <laughs> miserably to achieve it. I think it, that now he's like, well, now I don't have to try for a PG rating. So he's just going full out, like, all right, it's R-rated. I'm going to go as far as I possibly can. <laughs> so. I mean, I I don't know how much more you have to say, but I, I got, I have a whole thesis on what I think the final moments of the film mean. Um, we can just start going to that. We got to talk about that. They do the dinner sequence in this. That's basically just a repeat of the dinner sequence from the first movie. Um, like almost beat for beat, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to the point where they do bring out grandpa again. Although this time I think they specify that he's 130 years old. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is interesting. And, uh, the makeup looks better, but, I mean, the budget's bigger, so what are you going to do? Yeah, but also, um, I forgot to bring up in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I, I think a, a genuinely funny shot in that movie is the scene where they're like, all right, we're going to kill that girl now. Let's let Grandpa do it, because Grandpa's the best killer. And they keep putting the hammer in Grandpa's hands, and it's just falling out. <laughs> That's in the first movie, and it's funny, and they repeat it here, and it's funnier too, but I think if you watch that first movie and you can get past the horror of it, it's like, oh, like it's one of the funniest shots is just Leatherface reaching out, picking up the hammer again, dropping it, picking up the hammer again, dropping it, picking up the hammer again, and it just keeps going. I don't know if I'll ever get past the horror in uh, the first film is a thing, you know? Like, it's it's just so terrifying to me. Don't blame you. Can't blame you, really, you know? Oh, also, I want to shout out the line that um, it's either sex or the saw. <laughs> now, uh, the cook tells Leatherface that 
sex, well, no one knows what that's like, but the Saws family. <laughs> family There's unit. There's a lot to read into that. Nothing, nothing <laughs> wrong with the family unit. Wow. Um. White picket fences. Yep. <laughs> 2.5 2. children. 2.5. <laughs> yeah, um, there's there's some insight into the the nuclear family <laughs> in America, I guess. And then uh, we just got to say that uh, the the climax of the movie is Dennis Hopper getting into a chainsaw duel with Leatherface. Yep, and uh, Chop Top chasing around. But that I, that fight might be like the most epic confrontation in horror cinema history. <laughs> well it's it's really well directed like just from like an action standpoint mm. you know like it's it's kind of like invigorating mm. but like it's also you kind of do want them all to die yeah. <laughs> it's like they're all horrible awful disgusting people it's, a, it's just Dennis Hopper screaming <laughs> he's the lord of the harvest <laughs> I know like what is that what like he's like mean? he's a, he's like a religious fanatic. Like he's gone crazy. Like oh, it's great. Yeah, it's it's, it's all just ludicrous insanity. And then uh, the the cook blows them all up with a grenade from inside the, the hitchhiker's body. He kind of does it on accident. Um, because he's the whole movie. He's always talking about. Maybe it's time to shut down. Like, he keeps saying that. Like, you feel like that he he probably grabs that grenade, like, once a week. Thinking, like, even when no one's attacking him. <laughs> thinking he might blow himself up. But the only reason that it actually goes off is because uh, Grandpa stands up, throws the hammer, misses Dennis Hopper, hits Leatherface, who falls, and then his chainsaw goes through the floor and gets the cook who drops the grenade. <laughs> I guess I never thought about it like that. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> like they end up they end up doing more damage to themselves than Dennis Hopper did to them. Oh, that's kind of perfect. Yeah. So, and Dennis Hopper is the one who gets stretched into this whole mess. So, like, he's the true villain of the film. I don't know. He's never eaten anybody. I'm not saying he's a good guy. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> when you're going up against cannibals, I guess. Um, but also, uh, I, real quickly, I guess we should mention it's a different actor playing Leatherface this time. Because Leatherface yes. is like a completely different character almost. Which isn't like a bad thing necessarily. Um, yeah, well he's growing up. And he does the chainsaw dance a lot. Like a different, he, you know what, the first movie is the chainsaw dance, this is more the chainsaw jig. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, he kind of just like waves it a little bit over his head. Kind of <laughs> shake back and forth. Yeah, for no reason. I think that's just how he communicates now. Like, he's closing in on people, and then he stops to do the little jig. Like... <laughs> oh, Leatherface. Okay, so at the end, uh, when it's just down to Chop Top and Stretch, right? And they go through that final showdown, and um, he's slashing her up, and she's able to get that grandma's chainsaw, right? Is that who that is? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Like, okay. that... There's just... I don't know at that point. He's defeated by Stretch, who's basically just lost her mind, the same as Sally at the end of the first film. But here it's like, you know, it's victorious, almost, right? And she's standing and, and screaming and cheering at the top of this rundown amusement park. And I think that's like Tobe Hooper saying, like, at the end of, like, all this insanity, like, it's just worthless 
empty entertainment. Like I don't know. I think I think he's trying to say something like more cynical than just like a a victorious end to the cannibals, you know? Yeah, that's not like, a bad um like, they have to be uh everyone in this film goes crazy cuz they have to be crazy to like embark on this narrative that he's strung up for them. Well, I think also a lot of the complaints of the first movie are that Sally is like mostly just tortured the whole movie. Like, she's a final girl that, like, she never really fights back. Like, all her victories are, like, like, it's an accident that the hitchhiker gets run over by that truck, and then it's the truck driver who throws the hammer at Leatherface that makes him fall and cut his leg, you know? Mm-hmm. She's just running around screaming, so I it's, it's like a thing where, like, in this one, Stretch is triumphant, but yeah, the zoom out, it's kind of like, yeah, she won, but, like, what did she win? Like... This isn't a better end for her. (laughs) Yeah, like, she survived, and now it's just, like, nothing. She doesn't have anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, the the life she had before last night is, like, not going to be the life she has the Mm -hmm. rest of her life. You know? So, yeah, it's a a weird, distorted evolution of Sally from the first film, much like the rest of TCM2 is a distorted evolution of events from the first film. I also think it's finger-wagging at, like, people who, like, they want a clear moralistic victory at the end of a film, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, like, like, you know, she wins, but, like, it's, it's, like, now she's just the ruler of this craziness? Like, there's no victory here. It's a great movie. I gotta be honest, I don't like revisiting it that much just because I can't fully wrap myself around it. Yeah. But it's a great movie that I, I would recommend to um, horror fans. Not if, anyone if you, who's not a horror fan, honestly. Yeah, if you've been putting it off for whatever reason, it's worth watching. Um, mm-hmm. If you like the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's 100% different. And I know a lot of people who tell me they saw Texas Chainsaw 2 the first time and, like, hated it, but then, like, liked it on, like, rewatch. Um, so I guess that's something to just make clear. Uh, but, you know... Yeah, it's you know I I like it. I understand why people don't like it. Honestly, it's a weird movie, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's pretty great. I do too. Like I guess that's that's the barometer for me. Then like I like Tob- Ho- Toby Hooper's other films, so I can get on board with TCM too. If you check out his other films that aren't Texas Chainsaw Massacre and you end up liking them, you'll probably like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Yeah, they're they're much more in common with. Like, invaders from Mars. And life force. (laughs) Definitely life force, yeah. This might be crazier than life force. Just, like, on sheer charisma alone, I don't know. Alright, here's my suggestion. If you haven't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 or Life Force, go watch Life Force, and then remember that Diego just said that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 might be crazier than life force. (laughs) Am I wrong? Nope, nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah so if you can get on board with that enjoy texas chainsaw massacre too and uh rest in peace toby hooper uh, what a great filmography you had so um thank you for sharing that with the world and matt thank you for joining me on this weird ass halloween retrospective that we cobbled together totally not at the last minute yep it's only uh how many days are we from halloween like five days I don't know. I'm going to try to have this up by the morning for the Patreons. All right. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see.
And then I'll have this out the day before Halloween mm-hmm. for everyone else. Good plan. Yeah. Well, happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Where can the people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com. And you can find me at the Deagle Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, and Patreon. And check out the other retrospectives we got going on, like Avatar, The Last Airbender, other Halloween stuff like Talking George Romero's Dead series of films. Everyone likes zombies and all that jazz. So thanks again. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We have been professionally unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs>